Uh, the reading today is from Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, starting at verse 1 on page 1042. 1042, Luke, chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, Lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door's already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A moment of prayer. Let us, like those original disciples ask Jesus Lord teach us to pray Amen I want to introduce this series on um, prayer and mission with a story about what happened in the United States in 1857 when the country was at both an economic and a spiritual low. Thousands of merchants were in despair as banks failed and uh, as railroads went into bankruptcy. Factories were closing. Many people were thrown into unemployment. Church attendance dwindled so much that at that stage, I think, a church going in America was lower than almost anywhere else in the Western world. There was much cynicism about God at this time. And that was the situation when uh, Jeremiah Lamplier uh, had a vision to start a noontide prayer meeting at a little mission in Fulton Street, New York. He spent quite a bit of money in advertising this massively. He went to the first meeting, 
on September the 23rd in 1857 with um, much expectancy. Uh, at noon, nobody had come. By 12.30, one man had come. Eventually, six turned up to that first prayer time. By October the 14th, just three weeks later, a hundred people were coming to that prayer meeting. Before long, other buildings were drawn in to accommodate the numbers of people uh, that were coming. Churches opened up, but they were not big enough for the thousands which by now were coming. By March the next year, Burton's Theatre in New York, holding 3,000 people, was packed and soon it was inadequate. Within six months, 10,000 people gathered daily for prayer in New York. It grew widely across the nation and they reckon that about a million people became Christians through this revival of prayer in the middle of the 19th century, at a time when the country was so low. Well, there's some pretty obvious parallels today. The church is poverty-stricken today in many areas, but I guess we're most poverty-stricken in the area of prayer. We have superb technological toys in which we trust, but we don't rate very well at prayer, do we? We have many organizers, but few agonizers. We have many players and payers, but few prayers. And if it was a sort of scale of one to ten, one being the bottom and ten being the top, I wonder where your prayer life would come. Uh, I'm embarrassed to think where mine would come. We know that it's the most powerful thing we can do. And yet we find it so hard to do it. Wouldn't it be great if we could stop what we're doing at noon each day and lift up our hearts to God for one minute, for 60 seconds, crying to him to revive his work here in Britain and in Oxford. Just 60 seconds a day. I don't know what would happen, but I'm sure that we would see a difference. Well, now, with that preamble, let's turn to Jesus, man of prayer, and Luke 11, this wonderful passage that has been read to us so clearly. The Gospels are full of Jesus at prayer, and if he needed to pray, I guess I did. We find him praying early in the morning after a hectic Sabbath. We find him up all night praying before choosing his disciples, praying again for most of the night at the height of his Galilean ministry uh, after feeding the 5,000, praying with his disciples at the Last Supper and again in the garden and praying more than once upon that awesome cross. Man of action, he surely was, but he was equally man of prayer. So much so that in Luke's account it was Jesus' example in prayer that stimulated the request of the disciples, Lord, teach us 
to pray. And you know, for those who are parents here, I think that the most powerful ministry you could have for your children is for them to barge into your bedroom early in the morning or at night and to see you on your knees at prayer. That would have more impact on them than any teaching you could possibly give. Lord, teach us to pray. This marvellous prayer, I'm sure Jesus must have taught about it many times. There are slightly different versions in Matthew 6, verse 9 and following. And here, um, it begins in a breathtaking way. Father. In the Aramaic language that Jesus regularly spoke, the word would be Abba. And you know how that has moved into Galatians and into Romans as a precious word that the Christians took over and used. They took it over with awe and wonder because that word had never been used before Jesus in the whole of Judaism for the address of humans to God. It was used by little children talking to their daddy. And you can imagine how it would be perhaps the first word, Abba, 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 that the little child could speak. And Jesus, who alone had that intimate family relationship with God the Father, incredibly gives to us the same privilege. We can call God, Dear Father, Daddy, Abba. We can come to God in that assurance. The whole gospel is contained in that one little word, Abba. All that Jesus did was to bring us back into that intimacy with the Heavenly Father. But of course, we don't come alone. As Matthew's version puts it, it's our Father. The Lord's Prayer is not for private use alone. It presupposes a Christian family. And when the prayer has brought us into the Father's presence, it gives us three petitions about God and his glory. And they're followed by three about us and our needs. What a contrast to the way we tend to barge into God's presence in the short amount of time we give him with our often rather trifling needs. And we forget the big things. And this Lord's Prayer encourages us to pray for the big things and to prioritize that first of all, his name be hallowed, his kingdom come, and his will be done. Your name be hallowed. What a note of adoration we can sense in that. His name is to be hallowed. We long for his name, and in Hebrew thinking that stands for his character, to have the number one spot in people's hearts, in our own hearts first, and then to spread into society where his name is very often dragged in the dirt. Contrast the... um, Reverence for the name of Allah in Muslim lands. 
And even when Western broadcasters speak of the God that Muslims worship, they have some reverence about them. Even skeptics do the same. And yet they don't offer that same respect to the God and Father of us all. Let's pray for his name to be hallowed widely in society in the United Kingdom. Your kingdom come. Kingdom means his kingly rule. It's all about his authority in our lives. It's not all about um, a geographical place. Your kingly rule come. That's the cry for his rule to enter rebel hearts. It's a prayer for the spread of the gospel. I wonder how much we pray for the gospel to spread. I wonder how specific we are in coming to God with those five names that we've been encouraged this morning to pray for the forthcoming Alpha Course. And if you pray regularly for those five before you invite them, you may well find that you do invite all five and not three. And you may well find that more than one comes on that course. This is one of the great ways in which the gospel is spread in our land at the moment, through the Alpha Course. If you pray, your kingdom come, that leads to inviting and to expectancy. And there's not much time before the next Alpha Course begins. Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. This third request, which um, is not in Luke, but is strongly there in Matthew, and perhaps in Luke it's embraced under your kingdom come. It seems to be more directed to life within the kingdom rather than people coming to join the kingdom. If disciples are keen to see God's kingly rule, conquering the apathy and the rebellion in the lives of their friends who are not yet disciples, they should be and we should be no less concerned to see his will done in our lives, transforming them and making them more like our master. It's a daily surrender, your will be done. Not, Lord, bless my plans for today, but, Lord, guide me into your will for today. And it's only when we've prioritized these three areas, these three petitions about God, that we should come to him um, with our own needs. And with impressive succinctness, Jesus tells us how to pray for ourselves. We're to pray for our daily bread, We're to pray for forgiveness, and we're to pray for deliverance from evil. And actually, practically all of human life is embraced under those three heads. Give us today our daily bread. Our bread stands for all our daily needs. And we we should bring them to God at the beginning of the day, just outlined before him, where his strength and intervention um, we think we're going to need. But actually, the word that's used for daily is a very, very rare word. In fact, it's a unique word in the New Testament. 
And it's a very moving word. And it has a paradoxical meaning. Because it means, give us today the bread of tomorrow. Give us today the coming bread. Give us today the bread of eternity. Give to us poor struggling Christians today a foretaste of that eternal bread which will be our sustenance in heaven. That will include our physical bread, of course, but it will include much more. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive those who are indebted to us. We never get to the point in our Christian lives where we do not need daily, humbly, to seek forgiveness. It's very interesting as I've moved in many parts of the world to see that quite often, particularly in Western and sophisticated societies, you find confession getting more and more pruned and the feeling that really we are not into this sin and forgiveness stuff. Uh, well, we are. Uh, that's why Paul so often includes grace, mercy, and peace in his greetings. We need mercy every day. And that's why we confess our sins in every service. It gets the muck out of the way so that we can come to the Heavenly Father and stand tall in his presence. And notice the tailpiece. Forgive as we forgive those who wrong us. That's very important. It's not as though God is narrow-minded and saying, I'm not going to forgive you unless you forgive somebody else. It's much more logical than that. It's because he cannot forgive us so long as we harbor resentment against other people. So long as my fist is clenched, there's no way I can receive from anybody else if I want to receive forgiveness I cannot have a raised fist against somebody else often our prayers are not answered because there is someone we simply will not forgive there may be somebody here whose prayer life is completely cut off because you're not willing to forgive And actually, it eats into us like a cancer. Forgive us as we forgive. And lead us. Deliver us. We are to pray for our daily bread, for our forgiveness. And this third we petition is for guidance and strength. Deliver us from evil or the time of trial. In Matthew's account, evil... um, The word can either be neuter and be evil, or it can be masculine and mean the evil one. And I think there's a connection there. To be sure, Jesus was clear about the devil, his wiles and his power. He had just had a major battle with the devil in the wilderness, as we remember. And all evil is ultimately inspired by the devil. And so Jesus encourages us to daily seek the Father's strength to be delivered from the seductions of evil or the evil one, leading us into temptation and the power 
of the evil one inducing us to sin. So there we have it. God is our dear daddy. His name hallowed. His kingdom extended. His will done. Our needs supplied. Our sins forgiven. Our temptations overcome. What a prayer. And all in just 38 Greek words. No vain repetitions here. No long extended prayer that it's impossible for us to emulate. Some people talk as though to work is to pray and that I'm praying all the time. That can't be realistic and it's certainly not biblical. It's Jesus after he had finished praying that his disciples said to him, Prayer is communication with God, and it does have a beginning and it does have an end. But as we make those um, petitions in the Lord's Prayer a model, we can build our own prayers around them. Your kingly rule come. Lord, here are these five people that I'm particularly praying for, for your kingly rule to start in their lives. Lead me not to the place of testing and pressure. I know there's going to be several times today where I could very easily slip away from you. It's so easy to turn these into headings, these petitions in the Lord's Prayer, and build our own prayers around them. And so the earliest church was accustomed to adding words of adoration at the end of this superb prayer. At the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, there is a, a wonderful um, conclusion. It's not in the original text, but it was, uh, it's in many of the manuscripts. It was obviously in use very early on. And it's very much in the spirit of the prayer itself. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Yours is the kingly rule in my life today, Lord. And if so, I can count on your power for all that I need to face. And I promise you that I will not take the glory, the credit to myself for anything that goes well. Yours is the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. we stand let's uh, just have a couple of moments just to uh, digest and take in in quiet